Hello, and welcome to Sights and Sirens Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Sights. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Sights, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Sights and Sirens, an emergency preparedness training company. Sights and Sirens is a National American Heart Association training center and EMS training company that specializes in NREMT exam prep. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. I just don't understand how I can be 100% at risk for something. Doesn't that just mean I have it then? No, that's what I've said. Yes, you have it. That's what early onset Alzheimer's is. That's I don't what, remember you saying that. Well, exactly. That's that's the point. Anyway, uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Sites and Sirens Back to Basic podcast. Uh, today, our sponsor is American CME. American CME is an educational, uh, continuing education company for EMS personnel. Uh, check out their website, AmericanCME.com. They've got both free uh, statewide credits that you can get by listening to their videos and watching their stuff. Also, they've got CAPSI accreditation things as well. Cool thing that we've partnered with them for is that next month you can listen back to this podcast or watch it on uh, on their website and get some continuing education for that as well for free. So or pay for it for Capsi, whichever one you want to do. So excited to be a partner with them. We thank them again for being a sponsor today. Uh, so, Jason, today what I want to talk about is um, goes along with the opiate uh, opiate pandemic epidemic what is it at this point epidemic it's a pandemic well, i mean no. everything's a pandemic now. everything's a pandemic it's popular. Now. but anyway the opiate pandemic i want to talk about the so not so much like what happens in an opiate overdose i want to talk about some of the new guidelines came out from the american heart association this past year uh, and they've added some algorithms to what do we do for patients who have gone into cardiac arrest and we assume that maybe it's from opiates and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about like what some of those guidelines are, what they're saying, what the research has shown. Uh, this is kind of like a research-based podcast. We're going to kind of review some of the literature. Uh, but before we start, let's talk about what opiates are. All right. Like just like what you just in general, like what's the risk here? What are we concerned about with opiates and cardiac arrest? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so opiates, what, what are they? Opiates or opioids, depending on whether it's like natural or synthetic. Mm -hmm. Um, They are substances that bind to opiate receptors. And what they do is they they produce certain clinical effects, right? So uh, loss of pain, you know, we we use this as as pain medication like fentanyl or morphine. Um, It also can get you high, (laughs) you know, and it can create dependency and addiction. And we might talk a little bit about the differences between those things. But the big danger when it comes to EMS in dealing with opiates isn't that I could care less that you're getting high or that your pain is gone, right? Like uh, sometimes I'm using that as goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Mm -hmm. not showing up and being like, you're addicted to opiates and that's why I'm giving you Narcan. No, I'm showing up and you're not breathing, right? So when when opiates bind to receptors, they're competing. um, And what happens is if they bind to those receptors, it can they bind to enough of them, it can snow your respiratory drive and knock your respiratory drive out and you stop breathing. So the big threat of opiates isn't just the addiction level. You know, that's not something that we we deal with. That's more of a, a global look at it. We deal with the issue as, as a respiratory emergency, a, a potential um, catalyst for a major respiratory emergency. Exactly. So and so for those of you who may not be familiar with why the opiate pandemic has become such an issue. So and kind of what you hit on already. So what we've had is this problem where 
we've over as healthcare professionals, we've overprescribed opiate medications. So, and I'll, I'll name a bunch here. So like you said, fentanyl, morphine, those are like, you know, kind of IV versions. I guess you can do oral fentanyl, but, um, you know, Dilaudid, you've got Norco, Percocet, Hydrocodone, Oxycontin, all these, all of these are, are opiates in some way, shape or form, right? Some of them are combined with Tylenol. Some of them are different uh, levels of opiates, that sort of thing. But they all fall into the same class of, again, like Jason, you had said, binding to these opiate receptors and producing pain relief. But again, if you're not treating pain with them, they can give you a little bit of a high and that sort of thing. So what happened is, is that over the last 10, 20 years, we've been over prescribing these opiate medications, uh, which has then led to their abuse. And their abuse has led to us to then restrict them. So what we've done is in like the last couple of years, like obviously now you'll you'll notice probably we don't prescribe them as often anymore. It became it came to our attention that, hey, you know what? This is a problem. We need to do something about it. What happened was, though, is that as soon as we stopped prescribing those medications, the patients that were addicted to the medication or dependent on the medication still needed to get that fixed or that high so that they wouldn't go through withdrawals. So they started to use things like heroin and so that's why we're seeing problems with that kind of stuff as well so again like you said i mean we we clinically any medication if it's abused can lead to worsening side effects the big problem with the use of opiates is that if you overdose on opiates or you take too many it reduces your respiratory drive right so one thing that we've found is that with this opiate epidemic i guess they're calling it an epidemic not a pandemic i don't know I mean, it is global in the sense yeah, that, like, we're sure. getting all our fentanyl from China to put into our heroin. Like, that's just kind of sure, how sure, so. sure. So, anyway, it's a problem. So, what they're finding is that, and these new American Heart Association guidelines have come out through the emergency cardiovascular care research, and have found that we're seeing like a hundred. This is kind of crazy, but we're seeing 115 deaths per day in the United States, usually in ages like 25 to 65, due to opioid-associated out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So you take a bunch of opiates, you overdose on them, you stop breathing, which leads to your heart stopping, and now you're in cardiac arrest. 115 a day. So this is not something that if you've been in EMS for any amount of time, you haven't seen, probably even recently, right? I mean, I think you say that you respond on these quite often. I, I oh, see them every day. Daily. Yeah. yeah, absolutely daily. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes the same patient. I, I remember one time I, I was working with a probie. Um, so he was, he was one of our probationary firefighters. He was one, a newer medic. And we brought a guy back with Narcan, you know, you know, got him up. And he said, how many times have you have you needed to have Narcan like resuscitate you? And he goes eight times. So he had been brought back by EMS eight times with Narcan and continued to use. Now, before we go like and become like heavily judgmental, and when you about, say well, and you, when you say come back, you're not talking about cardiac arrest. You're coming like like he's not you. You arrive on scene, he he's not breathing, breathing yep. and you gave he him would Narcan. have died yeah. had we not acted. Right, right, yep. right. So, but let's let's rewind a little bit and like talk about how this happens. You, you said that you guys overprescribed. You guys, you know the, the medical the medical service. Yeah, you know, well, he said we have to take responsibility for we it. Over prescribed, then we pulled back. Now the dependency it, it's a normal thing that happens. Like if if you take opioids for long enough, your your body builds up a dependency on it. That's not in a that's different than an addiction, mm-hmm. right? So Correct. so my body needs a certain amount and more marginally more and more and more as 
as time goes by to get the same therapeutic effect. So the effects were to reduce the pain. That's a good thing. That's what we wanted to do. But the problem is, is where originally maybe I only needed five milligrams. Once my body builds up a little bit of a resistance and a dependency on it, now I need 15 to get the, to get the effect. effect. And if you take me back down to five, I go through withdrawal symptoms, which are very uncomfortable. That That's a normal clinical thing that happens that we deal with and we wean people off pain medication like that's that's, that's physiologic that's not, dependence, that's not, not addiction. Some, you know, I think we jump down this like, oh, it's just some dirt bag who like, you know, that, that's not what happens. It's so when you take away my ability to take the medication that my body now needs what what do they have to turn to? Well, that, then you you hit the street and and you right. try to get you try to get somebody else's medication. It starts with oh I'll, I'll use somebody else's extra mm-hmm. opioids or whatever just so I can try to wean myself off. But eventually you start getting involved in in illegal you know illegal drugs and well, illicit drugs. It's, again, it's a little bit of a failure on our standpoint as as the medical you know team is that. What what was our plan for these people? Like I said, we just we kind of stopped prescribing, and obviously we we have done a lot to try to put resources out into our communities to help, but but it's never enough. It seems yeah. like you know, like there's always a secondary thing to get the actual resources that people need. For so we stopped prescribing, and again, like we we kind of left these people in the wind. Like what are they supposed to do? Um, and going back to the dependency piece, I mean you know, to drive it home a little bit more. I mean, think about like caffeine, right? I mean, this happens to me. I drink a lot of coffee and pop and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden I try to stop taking, I start to get caffeine headaches. That's the same thing. I mean, you're literally talking about withdrawal symptoms from caffeine. So any substance, like we talk about like narcotics and opiates, but any substance, if, you know, over time your body becomes dependent on in some, in some way, shape or form, it's just kind of how we, how our bodies work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the, the onus doesn't go back on the patient to like figure it out so much as like we need to be providing these people with resources and things, but it's obviously become a problem. So the question that's be, that's been started to look at in the literature and in the research is what do we do in these cardiac arrest situations? How do we, sus- when do we suspect opiate overdose? Do we give Narcan and, and, do we give Narcan in every cardiac arrest because that could be a factor? Do we do it when we think it's possible? Does it even have any effect? And the answer is we don't really know all the answers. And this could change in five years, 10 years when new research comes out. But <clears throat> it's definitely a conversation that has been raised. And we've even, like I said, put some algorithms into place of, hey, you know, what? this is a problem enough that we should have a plan of when we give Narcan, that kind of thing. So do you want to talk about what Narcan is? Yeah, so and I what's interesting is I've I've worked in in a few different counties, but but two major changes that or one major change that happened from moving to one county to another is that I worked in a county where our protocol was if you had an unconscious unknown situation where someone was down, just unconscious, it didn't have to have any respiratory symptoms or anything, they were just out and you didn't know what happened, the protocol was to go ahead and just push Narcan because it can't hurt. And what if it's that? I work in a county now where the protocol is there there has to be some sort of respiratory depression in order for me to push Narcan because that that's what we're trying to fight is this this apnea mm-hmm. or this dyspnea, you know, this irregular respirations that's caused by the binding. So what Narcan does or naloxone is it, it 
it competes with the opioid to bind to those receptors and basically block them. So it's a it's an antagonist medication that you would give and basically with enough of it, it will compete for the same receptors that the opiate or opioid is fighting for and it's going to try to bind to those more often and block those receptor sites off so that that the opium or you know the opium product can't can't bind. Mm-hmm. And what happens is because Narcan has a shorter lifespan or effective time range than opiates, sometimes we have to give multiple dosages. In fact, you've told me stories about, you know, people who have taken so much that they've needed, you know, IV drips of Narcan mm-hmm. in order to keep competing with it, right? Yeah. So sometimes what happens is... So it competes with the receptor but has but doesn't have the same effect. So it, it, it knocks the opiate... Off of that receptor, it's the mu receptor, if you're taking an exam anytime soon, the MMU, the mu receptor is the opiate receptor. But it knocks the opiate off of there and binds to it so that the opiate can't, but doesn't, doesn't have the do effect. Anything. It doesn't yeah, do it doesn't, anything. It doesn't turn anything on. Exactly. It basically, um, so if, if, you think of, if you think of the opiates as this key, like unlocking at these sites, we're basically just blocking off the keyhole so mm-hmm. that nothing can even get in exactly. there. So that's why those people then start to breathe again, because they don't have something that's depressing their respiratory. So it's not that Narcan stimulates them to breathe it, that it blocks the opiates from right. suppressing them to breathe and it also only does that right so mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. we think that narcan's this miracle drug and it's always narcan's going to fix any type of overdose on any medication it's only for those mu receptors it's only going to bind for that so it's not going to work on things like cocaine it's not going to mm-hmm. work on, on methamphetamines and things like that um it's not just like your your total anti illicit drug medication right right um but I think what what sometimes happens is we give this Narcan or places in like the East Coast and, and some places out West, it's getting more popular to have like prescription or over the counter Narcan mm-hmm. that you can get to like get your safe high, basically. And so there's, if a you big, have a, there's a big push for that now is, to, right. is basically to, you know, give people who do have these addictions and these dependent issues access to Narcan. So, and I don't know where I, I don't know to, where I stand with that. You sure, know what I mean, I, yeah. I don't know, but I can tell you that that. There's two sides of the argument. One is these people are are getting high and we're partially responsible as a medical community. So we need a a way for them to be able to safely rescue, you know, when when things go wrong. So isn't it better if I know that you're going to go get high, at least we can go get a Narcan kit and I can go with you, I guess, and and bring you back or something or stop your from stop breathing. It's like a designated driver for opiate overdoses. Well, and I've even heard, I mean, they've they've pitched out West. There's like ideas where like it's like a safe high zone where like there's a medic there with Narcan. You can come and use clean needles and like get high. And it's just, yeah. Are are we in, are we protecting people or enabling or are we enabling and yeah. that's i don't we're not going to answer that today, yeah we're not going to it's not a political like, podcast right, right but right. the but the danger you know with this sometimes is that what happens then is you and i go out and we're like hey man like we got this narcan kit like let's get higher than we ever have because we know we can just reverse it and There's i think this false sense of security yeah and, and it certainly we see this all the time i had a call one time where uh the the boyfriend of this young woman had been sleeping next to her all night. They had gotten high the night before and he had obviously become deceased in the night, had stopped breathing for quite some time. She had noticed snoring respirations, ignored it and they slept. It was like 1 PM when they woke up and called us. It had been hours and hours and hours. So we pronounced him because at this point he was rigored. I mean, pupils were fixed and dilated. Like he, he, he was, been he had been for gone a for a long time. And she was like, I don't understand. Why can't you just bring Narcan and bring him back? And I was like, well, 
Narcan doesn't start his heart back up. It right, doesn't, right. you know, it doesn't bring oxygen back to the brain. All mm-hmm. that Narcan does is blocks that receptor site so that hopefully you can continue to breathe. If there's anything else going on, you know, we're running into issues. Right, right. So it, it is a very useful drug. It is responsible for saving thousands and thousands of lives. It's not the end all be all fix mm-hmm. for even drug overdose, right? Yeah. Well, and that brings us to what this what we, the research has now shown with cardiac arrest. So, again, so we, we, we talked about what Narcan is um, very simply that antagonist, that mu opiate receptor antagonist. It blocks that so you don't get the respiratory depression. So, you know, when we look at the guidelines now for how do we respond? So if you have anyone who's in respiratory arrest, so they're not breathing anymore and they still have a pulse, obviously Narcan then is is going to be a great option, especially if you suspect or you think that there's been an opiate overdose. But what happens when they lose pulses, right? So what happens when they go into cardiac arrest? And that's a question that we've kind of, we looked at the research over the last couple of years and we've got some good guidelines in place. And I think you kind of have, have hinted to it a little bit is that we, it's a, it's a lack of understanding that sometimes we have of what Narcan is and, and can actually do. So we've covered that. So Let's talk about what it doesn't do. And the one thing it doesn't do is start your heart up again, right? Right. So what do we do in these situations? Is it beneficial? And this is the question we're kind of looking at today and what the literature says. Is it beneficial to give Narcan in cardiac arrest? So you you show up, patients in cardiac arrest, they have no pulse, they're not breathing. Does Narcan help? Do Do we give it every time? Do we give it when we think there might have been an opiate overdose? Like, do we selectively pick people who we think it could benefit? Um... You know, and long story short, there's no there's no like right or wrong answer. But I wanted to discuss a little bit. I can talk a little bit about what the guidelines show. Um, but what do you think? Like, so in your practice as an EMS, as a paramedic, what's your gut? So, yeah, you know? I think there's a couple things here. One is that I think we're we're almost comparing it to let's say someone goes into cardiac arrest because they stopped breathing, not because of an overdose, but because they stopped breathing. It's almost comparable to just like, oh, well, he stopped breathing, so we'll just do respirations for him and not do CPR. Like his heart stopped, right? right? That's what that's cardiac arrest is. His heart stopped as a result of him not breathing. Just doing respirations isn't enough. Sometimes, though, if you did enough respirations and you oxygenated enough, maybe the heart kicks back on Mm -hmm. and -hmm. we can get a successful result of it. But we're always going to do everything that we can, right? Right, right, So I think the idea going into this was always in a cardiac arrest, we do everything that we can and we try to cover all our bases. So how we would do that is when we started working somebody, we would consider an AHA would call your H's and T's, right? Your your reversible causes for a cardiac arrest. And that includes hypoxia, hypovolemia, you know, quick solutions, hypoxia, I'm going to oxygenate, hypovolemia, I'm going to give them fluid, right? Or, or blood product, Um your hydrogen ion, if they're acidotic, I might consider bicarb or look at, at different exposures there, right? And when we start getting into the T, we get to toxins. That, uh, you know, an opioid over- overdose would be a, considered a toxin. And we have a reversal agent for that, right? So we, we have Narcan that we can give. So I've seen kind of two methodologies. One is being very specific and making sure, hey, does he have um 
the, does he have acidosis? Because if I don't think he has acidosis, I'm not going to give the bicarb. Does he have, you know, a hypovolemia? Because if he doesn't, I'm not going to cram a bunch of fluid in. Right. Right. So there's that. And then I've also seen docs and medics mm-hmm. do the opposite. We don't know. We don't know for sure. I don't know his history. So let's just chuck the kitchen sink at him. Right. Right. right, right. And I think you can argue both sides here in, in one instance, hey, you know your stuff really well and you're doing everything you can and covering all your bases. Another person might look at that and say, you don't really know what you're doing and you're not looking at specifics. So you're just chucking everything because you want an end all be all answer to fixing everything. So you'll just do everything. Right. You right. know what I mean? So and that's the thing. So like, and again, it goes back to understanding what your interventions actually do. So if you understand what Narcan actually does, which we've talked about, right? If you understand what it does, then again, you know what it doesn't do. What it doesn't do is start someone's heart back. So what we've found in the literature, and like I said, some of these specific recommendations that came out is in the 2020 Emergency Cardiovascular Care Guidelines, is that initial management should focus on support of the patient's airway and breathing, beginning by opening the airway, delivering rescue breaths, and ideally using a bag valve mask or a barrier device for anyone who's in respiratory arrest, Right. Yeah, or or failure, or you know, what I mean, like right. irregular respirations. We're right. So be they, using so, the so again, the it's it's you know starting with the basics, going back to yeah. basics. What do you do if someone's in respiratory arrest? You support their respirations, right? You start to bag them. You position their airway correctly with a head tilt, chin lift type of uh, method. If they're in cardiac arrest, you're gonna start CPR, right? Yeah. And once you've started CPR, you're doing good quality chest compressions, and maybe you've started working on the airway as well. Then can we consider something like Narcan? Now, again, the guidelines are are a little vague because they have to be in a sense that we know what Narcan does and what it doesn't do. So we're not gonna just use Narcan without considering CPR, ventilation, all these things first, right? We're always gonna start with these basics first. I think we're a go- simple way to say this is we shouldn't. We shouldn't give Narcan if we don't have a plan when it doesn't work or it does work. You know what I mean? Like if, if we're going to give Narcan and we're like, and if this doesn't work, I don't know what to do. Then you shouldn't get it in the first right, place right. because you, you need to know what its limitations are. And like, also we're not going to just give Narcan and forego the more important things like right. CPR because we know that Narcan doesn't actually start the heart or anything like that. So and that's kind of what the guidelines say. So again, they say initial management should focus on these things because there's no study. And this is super interesting. As of right now, and could this change in 5, 10 years? Sure. But it says, because there are no studies demonstrating improvement in patient outcomes from administration of naloxone during cardiac arrest, provision of CPR should be the focus of initial care. Makes sense, right? We need to be doing CPR. That, That we know saves lives. As of right now, we actually don't have any studies that say if you give Narcan in a cardiac arrest situation, that outcomes are actually beneficial. Now, there is some data that I saw, some research that I've read that says if you give Narcan in a situation where there's an opiate overdose and cardiac arrest was the result, you can get their heart to start better, which is not that they're starting their heart, it's that you're you're getting them breathing again while you're also doing quality chest compressions. But that research didn't really show increased survivability. Hmm. So in 24 hours, couple days, like those patients didn't live any more so than someone who you didn't give Narcan to in those situations. So the, the answer is we don't really know, right? But again, the focus is the, the back to basics part of this is that it doesn't really matter, right? If you've got someone in cardiac arrest, you're going to do high quality chest compressions, early defibrillation, and then consider understanding what it does is this a patient where I can give some Narcan, 
could this potentially be beneficial? The research may not say so right now, but if there's been an overdose. So what are some signs or symptoms? Because I've also there was also a research article that came out this past year that looked at some clinical decision tools like, OK, and I don't I won't share exactly what it is because it doesn't really matter. But like if patients meet these five criteria, then they're probably an opiate overdose. And that's why they're in cardiac arrest. So we should give Narcan in this situation. Which again, like that's a little too specific, right? I mean, I think we have to use our clinical judgment. But for you, as an as as an EMS, as a paramedic, first responder, what would be a clinical? Well, let's just talk about some of the clues and some of the things that we see where we might say, "Hey, you know what? This might be a situation where I've got a high susp- susceptibility. Sorry, high suspicion that this was an opiate overdose leading to respiratory arrest, which then led led to cardiac arrest." Right. There's some easy ones, right? So, yeah, like the most <laughs> obvious would be like, hey, Gary and I were doing a bunch of heroin. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and, now right. He, and now he's not breathing, right? right. So a lot of times your scene is going to paint a, a pretty big picture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, is if there's drug paraphernalia on scene, if you see needles, if you see things like track marks in the arms or mm-hmm. between the fingers, sometimes you got to get pretty specific and looking at the, the venous access on, on these people because they find ways to either hide it or they've abused sites for so long that they have so much scar tissue on their AC, they got to start starting lines in, in their fingers and things like that. So sure. um, those are things you can take a look at. The big obvious ones are, you know, re- major respiratory depression. Um, it, so it sort of depends. The, the onset of this could be very acute or it could take a little bit of time, right? They might start snoring, start irregular, slow down, slow down, slow down, and mm-hmm. then stop. Um, I was on one just two nights ago where uh, the gentleman was, it was pro- he was probably breathing four or five times a minute and it was snoring respirations. He's sitting in the passenger seat of his car. So like that right there, like, why are you out in the passenger seat of your car at this motel? You know, like just, you, you right, start to kind right. of put things together. Other physiological signs, other than the breathing, is to take a look at the pupils. If the pupils are pinpoint, that's a sign of, of a, a probable opiate overdose, right? It's There's not a whole lot of other things that could be causing that. You know, the chances of it being a trauma or something like that, there could be, you could have a bleed or something like that that causes, you know, irregular respirations and then can, can kind of mess with your pupils, but... Typically, if both pupils are pinpoint, we're thinking, okay, this is this is opiate related. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and again, like you said, the typically the person who has in cardiac arrest is not the one calling. So usually the person, yeah. right? So the the person who's called, you can get a lot of information from the people on scene. And again, kind of like looking at your situation and looking at your scene and saying, okay, is this something I suspect? So again, so the lit- literature, like there's, there's a lot of good data out there, but we, but we don't really know. So like th- there is no answer to, do we give Narcan in every cardiac arrest? Do we give it in these specific cases? But the big back to basic take homes here that I want to talk about are basically any cardiac arrest, any respiratory arrest, because we don't know about the whole Narcan thing, and just because we should anyway, we're going to focus on high quality CPR. We're going to focus on respirations, right? Well, right. And it's it's a cardiac arrest or it's a respiratory arrest or it's a respiratory failure first before it's a considered opioid, right? Exactly. So like the best case scenario, even this the other night, you know, I think a lot of medics would have approached that and said, okay, let's just get, let's get a line and let's give Narcan or let's give intranasal Narcan and not really do anything in the meantime. The right thing to do in that is be bagging that patient. Mm-hmm. What do I have? I, I 
I start with my ABCs. Exactly. Hey, my airway isn't quite patent. He's not breathing regularly. I should have a BVM out and be bagging that patient until we can give a line and give the Narcan, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Absolutely. it's not yeah. necessarily about getting down to solving that problem. Ultimately, it's about you know using your assessment and treating things as they come. Exactly. So focusing on those ABCs first, then understanding what Narcan does, which we've discussed, and knowing when it could be beneficial. And then the question is, do we use it or not? Well, that's that's going to be a little bit up to your clinical judgment. I mean, if you see a lot of clinical signs that it could be, maybe we give it. We know that the research maybe doesn't support that it actually affects outcomes, but we also know that the literature is a little bit limited here. So we can consider Narcan with an understanding of what it does and what it doesn't do. And then understanding that if Narcan does work, and we talked, you talked about this a little bit earlier, if Narcan does work, going back to the fact that its half-life is usually less, it is less than opiates, meaning that if you give Narcan and that helps someone, you have to continue to monitor them and transport them. Like I said, there, there's probably an argument to say, hey, if you give someone Narcan and they wake up and they want to sign off, you really want to encourage them that that's they really should go in because Narcan will wear off before the opiate does. So just because because one dose of Narcan worked doesn't mean that they're going to start to go back into respiratory depression and eventual cardiac arrest again as that Narcan wears off. They may need repeated doses. And like you said, I have had patients who have come in who have needed so much Narcan that we put them on like a Narcan drip and just for hours they're on Narcan just to keep those opiate receptors blocked so that they're not going into respiratory arrest. Right. So and those are the big three big takeaways. Again, the ABCs, understand what Narcan does, and then realizing that with this half-life situation, we need to be continuing monitoring these patients and transporting them in case they need repeat doses and things like that. Yeah, I do want to encourage you too, like, don't be scared to give Narcan in the sense that there, there is no research that is saying that it it does any harm to a patient. So, like, it's not like Narcan, because Correct. it just blocks that receptor site and it doesn't bind to it in, in the way and activate it, it doesn't do anything negative So that we found so far. That could change. I, I doubt it, but, but that could change. So there's no harm in giving Narcan, even if you're wrong. So if you're, if you think it might be an opioid overdose, so you go ahead and you give Narcan and it's not, it's something else. You didn't do anything to harm the patient. You're still doing your job. Exactly. Exactly. And then like I said, when you guys, if you guys get a chance, take a look at the new AHA guidelines, the ECC updates, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, they basically are saying that if you suspect an opiate overdose, you're going to check for breathing. If they're not breathing, you're not going to give Narcan. You're going to start CPR. You're going to start CPR, respirations, and then give Narcan if you if it's accessible. If they are breathing, then you're going to activate the emergency response system, monitor breathing, things like that. So it's pretty straightforward, but I think it's just a good um, just a good thing to look back at what the research is saying and what it isn't saying. And this again, this may change, but understanding what Narcan is used for, what it's not used for, so that we approach these patients in the appropriate way every time. So anything else you want to add there? No, let's uh, go get high. Okay, sounds good. Got the Narcan? Yep, perfect. All right, we're good to go. So, all right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we want to thank American CME uh, for their sponsorship today. Check them out, AmericanCME.com if you're looking for continuing education credits. Uh, Credits for this podcast will be offered next month. You can check out their website for that. We thank them and hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next time. Stay sweet. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're an EMT or medic student or an advanced EMT student or an instructor of those students, we have a program just for you. With Sights and Sirens NREMT prep program, you get video lectures over 15 hours of really vetted, great content to help you through your program and help you prepare for the test. Check it out at www.sightsandsirens.com.